In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the first Sunday of the month of Kiak, and the month of Kiak is the month uh, leading up to the Feast of the Nativity, where all of the readings that we read in the liturgy are from Luke chapter 1. We read the entire chapter over the course of the four weeks, um, because Luke chapter 1 speaks about many events that happen um, leading up to the Nativity of Christ, just like in this month we are leading up to the Nativity um, celebration, um, the Feast of the Nativity that we celebrate in the church. The first week, which is today, um, we read about the Annunciation of St. John the Baptist <coughs> to Zacharias and Elizabeth. He is the one to be the forerunner, the one who lead the way before the coming of the Lord. Um, the second week, we read about the Annunciation of Christ to St. Mary, when also Archangel Gabriel comes to her and tells her that she would become the Son of God. The third week, St. Mary visits St. Elizabeth after hearing of her pregnancy to go and to care for her. And then the fourth week um, is the birth of St. John the Baptist, again leading up to the Feast of the Nativity, where we of course celebrate the birth of Christ who came for the salvation um, of all mankind. Um, for that reason, and the focus on the Incarnation and the preparation for it, I wanted to share with you over the course of the next four weeks some passages and some contemplations that we can um, learn from, from the book on the Incarnation uh, by St. Athanasius the Apostolic. He wrote this um, to defend the doctrine of the Incarnation, its necessity for our salvation, um, the characteristics of Christ who was incarnate for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we are going to speak um, a little briefly about this um, today and in the coming three weeks to try to cover as much of it as we can. Um, it is a very rich and deep book. I recommend, if you have not read it, um, to read it um, because it, it brings a lot of insight and understanding into what is the incarnation. Why is it that the Lord took flesh upon himself? What is the nature of this flesh? Why is it that God choose, chose to bring salvation to the world um, in this particular way. So the first section, um, he speaks about why the incarnation, um, the creation, um, and the fall. So he starts by saying that who is this person? Who is it that came to be incarnate for the salvation of our sins? And why is it that his why is it that his incarnation and subsequently his crucifixion and resurrection, why is it that this actually brought salvation? Why is it that it brought forgiveness? And so he starts by saying, well, the first thing we have to understand is that the Son is divine, meaning he is equal to the Father. He says the word of the Father, the word is the Son, the word of the Father is himself divine, that all things that are, that, um, are owed their being to his will and power, and that it is through him that the Father gives order to creation, by him that all things are moved, and through him that they receive their being meaning that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one, the Logos, the Son of God, he is the one who um, was active in the work of creation to create us. So think of it in this way. You have like um, a master potter who creates the pottery, he creates these vessels of pottery, and then he puts them up on the shelf, and then for whatever reason, these pots, the pottery that he made, falls from the shelf and breaks and cracks on the floor. Then he's saying this, pot, this, this master potter is going to then reform these pots again and to, to recreate them in a sense again. He is the only one who can do this because he is the one who originally formed and created them from the beginning. So he is, because he is divine and because he is the creator, he is able to reform and remake the things that have been broken. Also, he emphasizes that when God made the world, he made the world from nothing at all. Some of the philosophers at that time 
um, were arguing. Um, he, he's saying that uh, he, 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 they, they were arguing that, that God made uh, the, the, the universe and he made everything out of something that was already pre-existing. Something that already existed that God took and he formed it into the creation. But St. Athanasius says what? God had made all things um, out of pre-existent and uncreated matter just as the carpenter makes things only out of wood that already exists. So this is what the philosophers are saying. Okay, so this is the argument that he is arguing against. He's saying it is not like that God took something that pre-existed and he formed it to make the creation. He's saying, no, he created everything completely out of nothing. Again, this is what qualifies him to be the one who is able to come and to offer salvation to us because he is the owner of all things. He is the Pantocrator. He is the one who created all things. Even the scientific community that tries to have understanding about um, what is the origin of the universe and where does it come from and so on, they can have limited success in trying to understand the origin. But the thing that they can never figure out is what was the true, true first origin or the first cause? What created all the things that later changed form to become what it is that we have today? Because you can always keep going a step further back. And wh where did that come from? And where did that come from? And where did that come from? And ultimately, the question has no answer in the material world because you cannot answer a question about the origin of the material world from the material world itself. There has to be something at the beginning that caused everything that we see now and everything that we are now. In Hebrews 11:13, St. Paul says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Meaning the things that we see around us, God made from those things that are invisible. The things that did not exist, God created them, brought them into being, and then um, he formed us from them. Then he speaks about how we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Out of God's goodness and love, he created us in his image. When you think of a, a parents who bring to life their children, the children have a similarity to the parents. Whether the similarity be a physical one, meaning they, they look similar to the parents, or whether it be that the, the children have some kind of predisposition, character traits, something about them that links them to the parents because they are coming from that bloodline. This is, this is, this is, they are, they are related to him. So also we are created in the image of God and we have qualities that are similar to God. Like God's like characteristics and qualities are imprinted in us. Yes, they are imperfect and yes, they have been corrupted in the fall, but we still see that there is some characteristics of God in us because we are made in his image. St. Athanasius says he bestowed on us a grace which other creatures lacked namely the impress of his own image, a share in the reasonable being of the very word himself. The word, when we, when we say the, the, the phrase, we say the word of God, the word, which is logos, is the, the rational, saying like Christ is the rational. He is the mind of God. The word of God is like an expression of the mind, an expression of the reason. And this is logic and reason is what was able to create and order the world and the universe such as it is and to create us as well. So when we say we are rational beings, where do we get the reason that we are able to reason? When you look at any other creature that God had made, they have no reason. They operate on instinct. 
They operate based on some pre-programmed system that is in them and they are not able to think about the world or try to understand it or to philosophize about it or so on. So we have been created in a different way. God granted us the reason. He also granted us consciousness. He granted us free will. He granted us the ability to be able to choose for ourselves how is it that we want to live, which is again very different than other creatures that God has made. So we, we are made in his image. However, we in our sin corrupted that image. Because God gave us free will, that means we can choose to, to work against the creator. Even the one who created us, we have the option and the choice to work against him and to exalt ourselves against him, to rebel against him, to fight against him. And this is what happened with humanity. When, when God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden, which was a place that grants them like all of their needs to be fulfilled. There was nothing that was lacking in the garden. Every need that they had was fulfilled, and yet even seeing all of these things and being completely at peace and being fulfilled and satisfied, man was not satisfied with this alone, but wanted more. And because they wanted more, they chose to go against God and to reject what it is that he gave and the boundaries that he set because they wanted to seek for themselves even more. And when they did so, there became a block and a separation between them and God who was the source of life. They could not, they cannot um, be like in union with him who is the source of life. And so death entered into the world and they died. So it's in chapter one as well in the, in, on the incarnation. It says, for the transgression of the commandment was making them turn back again according to their nature. And as they had at the beginning come into being out of non-existence, so were they now on the way to returning through corruption to non-existence again. And this is a very interesting point, what St. Athanasius says. He says, in sin, we are in a sense uncreated. It's like we are reverting to a state of non-existence. If, if, if we look at the process of creation, that first God creates the matter, and then he takes the matter and he forms it into uh, beings, and then he imparts life into those beings and grant his rational image into those beings. When we sin, we are going against reason. Because if we believe in eternity, and if we believe in God, and if we believe in, in a right and wrong, and we believe in, on, a, on a path of life that leads to eternal life and a path that leads to eternal death, if in fact we believe these things, then we should never sin. We should never sin. Because from a, from a logical, rational standpoint, there is no reason for us to sin. Because we know that these sinful actions that we take are harmful to us and they are self-destructive to us. So why is it that we do them? Well, it is a state of reverting to the uncreated, the uncreated prior to us having the rational mind, prior to us being able to think and to reason, maybe doing things without thought that are harmful and damaging, and yet we do them anyway. So his point here is that in the fall, we are reverting back to a state of non-existence, to a state of being uncreated. And so the Lord's response to this was a recreation, just as we are we have chosen a state of uncreation, of non-existence. God is reforming and recreating us again. And he did this out of his love. And he did this by taking upon himself our very nature that we ourselves have. And then in this, healing the nature. 
like reforming the nature, making our nature to be pure again, making our nature to be uh, uh, healthy and whole again. This was what is the incarnation. The incarnation is coming to fix that which we have broken. God created something that was good, we broke it, and then he is coming to fix it himself. And because he is the creator, he is able to fix it because he is the one who formed it and created it um, at the beginning. So what is this then dilemma that he speaks about? He says what? That there are two options, okay? There, there are two options that God could have chosen at this point after man had sinned. After the sin of man, God could have chosen two things. The first option is that God could have said, well, the creation is a failure. The, the creation that I made has been broken and corrupted. It is a failure. And so I have to destroy it completely and start again. Why? Because if you have this, like imagine you have like this master watchmaker who is excellent at making watches and he is a craftsman and he has this reputation for being the absolute best watchmaker ever. And then he makes a watch, but the watch is all messed up. It has all kinds of problems in it, very, very like deep design problems, like things are not working inside and so on. So one option he has is, well, I can just destroy this watch. This watch, I'm going to abandon it. It turned out bad. I don't, want to, uh, I, I don't want to be associated with this watch because it is not, it is not like, like, like indicative of my talents and my skills and my expertise, right? It is not, I do not make things that are broken. And of course, we know God cannot make things that are broken. So God could have said, this is broken. This, I want to have nothing to do with this, right? This is something that is, that is, that is not like glorifying to me. Um, because of its status and it's almost embarrassing to me and so I don't want to have anything to do with it right he could have chosen this option another option he could have chosen is to ignore the problem he says okay um, there was sin there was corruption there was failure but I'm just going to pretend like it never happened right even though I said to Adam and Eve I said if you eat of the fruit of this tree that is forbidden then you will die but you know I was just saying that as a threat I was just saying that because I didn't want you to eat of it, but now that you've eaten of it, uh, I'm just going to pretend like you didn't and just hopefully, like, just don't do it again. You know, just don't do it again and we're going to be fine and don't worry about it, okay? He could have done this as well. But the problem here is that this would make God to be unjust because if he declared out of his mouth that there is a certain action that will bring a certain consequence and then he doesn't follow through with the consequence that he said, then what does that say about him? It means that he is a liar. It means that, he is, that the things that he says are not true and that you can't trust the things that he says, right? So, so this is what St. Athanasius says about it. He says, it would, of course, have been unthinkable that God should go back upon his word and that man having transgressed should not die. But it was equally monstrous that beings which once had shared the nature of the word should perish and turn back again into non-existence through corruption. So the question here then, is what is God to do if both of these options, the, the option one of like completely destroying it again and starting over um, and saying that this is a failure, this is not a good option. And then the second option is saying, well, ignoring the problem altogether, this is also not a good option. So the option that God chose <coughs> is maybe one that <coughs> is not clearly obvious, 
that people would have thought of, he chose this third option. This is what St. Athanasius says. It says, his part it was, and his alone, to bring again the corruptible to incorruption, and to maintain for the Father his consistency of character with all. For he alone, being word of the Father, and above all, was in consequence both able to recreate all, and worthy to suffer on behalf of all, and to be an ambassador for all with the Father. So he's saying is, I am willing to sacrifice myself in order to fix this problem, in order to heal the problem. There has to be the consequence that I said there would be, which is the consequence of death, but I will accept the consequence to myself. I one time heard a, a nice analogy of how we can try to understand what is it that Christ did in terms of accepting the consequence. Um, the, the story goes that there was a father who told his son that he has to behave himself, and if he misbehaves, then his punishment is that he has to sleep alone by himself in the attic. And, and so he said this is a rule. And so it happened that his son was disobedient, and now it was time for the punishment. And so the father, of course, he doesn't want the son to, be, to, to, to experience pain and suffering in order for him to sleep in the attic. But at the same time, he can't go against his word because if he doesn't tell the son you have to sleep in the attic, then that means that nothing of what he says can be trusted. He gave the commandment and, and the consequence if it was broken, and now he has to follow through. But at the same time, following through with it is painful to the father to see his son suffering this, this punishment. And so his decision was, is the son will sleep in the attic, but I will also sleep in the attic. I will go with my son, sleep with him in the attic, so that he will have companionship there and he will not be afraid. So I did not cancel the punishment, but I eased the punishment. I didn't, I didn't go against my word, but, I'm, but, I, but I did something to make it so that it was not as difficult or painful as it would have been otherwise. And so the Lord did not cancel for us the punishment of sin, which is death, but he turned death into something life-giving. Prior to the resurrection, those people who would look at death, they would see it as eternal, eternal punishment. That's what it was. That's what is the reason that death is so frightening, is because for those people who have no salvation, for them it is eternal punishment. It is, it is the cessation of all things good for a person. But the person who believes in the resurrection and has salvation, for them death is no longer something to be feared, but it is actually something even better than the life that we have here on the earth. And so God took death. He didn't cancel death. He didn't say, well, even though I said, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. He didn't cancel this and say, no, you will not die. He says, no, there is still going to be death. But this death is no longer going to be something to be feared. I'm going to disarm it. I'm going to turn it into something that is not scary or frightening anymore. I'm going to turn it into something good. And thus the Lord renewed us and healed our nature again. He says, what else could he possibly do being God but renew his image in mankind so that through it men might once more come to know him? And how could this be done save by the coming of the very image himself, our Savior, Jesus Christ? St. Athanasius, he gives this example likening uh, mankind to be like a beautiful painting. And then this painting has been marred and scarred and destroyed by all of these external stains. Instead of the painter throwing away the painting, the artist, he calls back the subject of the painting and he redraws it again. This is the restoration of the image. 
the original image was destroyed. So instead of throwing it away, I'm going to bring back the person who was the portrait was of, and I'm going to redraw it, I'm going to remake it, and I'm going to remake it even better than it was. And so finally he says, Even so was it with the all-holy Son of God. He, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself. So this is just the very first part of, of the, the book, the essay um, on the incarnation by Saint Athanasius. It's actually nine chapters. God willing, we'll go through some of the highlights um, of other parts of it in the coming weeks to, to, to prepare ourselves for truly why is it that we celebrate the incarnation. It is such an important event. It is one of the most important. It is the most important event that happened to all of us as, as, as mankind because without the incarnation, we would be dead in our sins, that we would have this eternal punishment that has been, um, that, that has been uh, given to us. And there is no action, no step, nothing that I can do myself in order to free myself from this punishment. And so Christ came and he disarmed it so that it is no longer harmful to us, but he made a way for us to have salvation and to be restored again to him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.